You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. It is Thursday morning, August 11th. We're fresh off the Penn State practice field Wednesday evening. Hopefully you've been over to Lions247.com. Nearly 2,000 words of detailed practice notes from what we observed during a 20-minute viewing session on Wednesday. We also got back a couple hours later to hear from James Franklin on the practice field. We got to ask some questions to offensive line coach Phil Troutwine. Couple of players were out there for us to speak with as well, and, and senior safety Jair Brown and, and center Juice Scruggs. So a lot of coverage and commentary over at Lions twenty four seven. Of course, our VIP subscribers are well in the know already on how this Penn State football team is shaping up. In just a little bit, we're going to dive into some preseason camp updates because there are a few to get to. We'll have some freshman updates, some positional conversations. Talk about what stands out early. Not so early anymore, though. We're almost two weeks through preseason camp, so. Uh, starting to to feel the crunch a little bit, hear that countdown clock today, three weeks away from that September 1st kickoff at Purdue, right into it with Big Ten action. But we're going to get into it right away here with recruiting. We're going to buckle up and strap up and get on that roller coaster ride that has been Penn State recruiting recently. And Tyler Calvaruzzo has been on the front seat of that roller coaster at Lions 24-7, following all the action. And we bring him back on board here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. We've got a commitment to talk about a decommitment to talk about, and actually a couple decommitments to talk yeah. about, one leaving the Penn State class, one potentially setting up for an addition of the Penn State class. Why don't we start with the positive news, and that was the addition on Wednesday. During our visit to practice, you know, I'm standing there a few yards away from James Franklin, and I see my phone start buzzing, and then I don't see him tweeting, and then you never see the tweet from James. So a surprise for the staff, it would seem, at least in some sense, and certainly for this staff, Lions 24-7, a surprise here. And we don't get many of those. And Carmelo Taylor just had a sneaking suspicion, we've talked about it on the podcast, that this recruitment was going to wind up throwing us some sort of curveball eventually. Here it was, and it ends up leading to an addition. Commitment number 18 for Penn State's 2023 class. Yeah, it was it was a surprising commitment on a couple of fronts. Just He pushed back his timeline, so I don't think anyone was really anticipating that he was going to commit anywhere for a little while longer. So just for him to go off the board in general was a surprise. And then for it to be Penn State, where for a while it seemed like it was either going to be Virginia Tech and then South Carolina took the lead, and it seemed like Penn State was kind of running third behind those two. It, it, it was a pleasant surprise, I think, for everyone involved, you know. Melo Taylor's a guy, he's a speed demon, you know, you can't teach the kind of speed that he has, and we'll go more into his evaluation later, but at the end of the day, this is a get that the staff is really happy with, like, you know, you hear names like KJ Hamler type comparisons, he reminds me of 2024 guy that we saw camp in June, Jeray Hawkins, just, you know, flat out speed, nothing but speed, and not just speed, but wide receiver skill set to go along with it, I think that's something that kind of Flies under the radar with Taylor. So, yeah, a, a lot of excitement about this get. Pleasant surprise, and I think it was much needed after what transpired the day before. 
Yeah, he's a guy who lived under 11 seconds on the 100-meter dash uh, this spring, ultimately claiming a, a Class 5 championship in 100-meter and 200-meter dash down to Virginia um, at the statewide level of those championships. So we're talking about an elite elite track talent here. And then you turn on the film, and I think that's kind of the order in which it happened for a lot of folks this year was you saw some of the track results, and then you noticed that, okay, this guy's also a football prospect in the 2023 class. A little late to be hearing this name. You turn on the highlights. He's he's fast with the ball in his hands. That's not often the case. Um, he's a guy that, that I think we have a lot to learn about as a football player, and we've got to see where he goes physically from here because I think at 5'11", he's still really shy of 160 pounds. I, I mean, K.J. Hamler, a name that we've brought up, was shorter and, and kind of in that same mold in terms of being maybe 150 pounds soaking wet as a high school senior. Uh, but Carmelo Taylor uh, addresses a, a need in this class because you've obviously lost the wide receiver. You've got one on board in jo Johnny Shakir. Um, in your opinion, though, with Taylor coming on board, is this a situation where Penn State is done uh, perusing the wide receiver market? Because it doesn't seem as though that will be the case. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like it'll be the case, but I think at the end of the day, they're going to play it based on fit. You know, it's kind of like what we say about the running back room, how they're not just going to take another player for the, for the sake of taking another player. Sure, they're going to be in the market for another receiver, but at the end of the day, if they don't deem the fit right or, you know, scheme fit, culture fit, whatever it may be, I think they're content with the two that they have right now. And then 2024 could be a little bit bigger of a receiver class. You know, Shakir and Taylor, two Two things with them is that they're ultra competitive guys. You know, Taylor, you, you kind of see it on social media with the way he posts about his track and all the work that he puts in. He's a grinder, man. And Shakir, we, we've talked about how much of a dog he is in the competitive sense before. So those two guys, culture fits and on field, they fit. And the thing with Taylor that makes him such an intriguing prospect is, yeah, he has that aspect of, hey, I run a 4-3, you don't. Now watch what I'm going to go do. But at the same time, like we've, his film is pretty impressive. Like, he has a good release. He has good hands. He runs pretty good routes. He might not be the biggest kid in the world, but with that kind of speed and that kind of skill set, it's one of those things where it is what it is. You know, you make it work, and he's been able to do that throughout his high school career. I also think his ability to to have that sudden change. Um, yeah. It's not just north-south speed with this guy. He's got that elusiveness as well, which really – I think that really enhances the the athletic skill set. You've got a lot of guys who can, who can run go routes. But to be able to get the ball in your hands on, on a screen or get the ball behind the line of scrimmage and then make some things happen where you can't just go straight line, he's got that wiggle uh, when you view the, the, the film. And, and he's got a lot of confidence as well. And I think you've got to yeah. have that confidence when you're this size going on to play Power 5 football. That's just the way that works. Um, personality stands out as well. I'm, I'm very curious to see how quickly he kind of dives in as from a peer recruiting standpoint because he's been – a fun follow on social media, a bit of a confusing follow at yeah. times trying to track his recruitment, but a guy that seems like to put his personality out there, that, that was another reason why I drew a parallel to KJ Hamler, just seeing him out there involved with some of the other prospects, some of the coaches with Penn State when, when he was up on campus and we had a chance to be on the field with those guys for a bit. Um, to me, though, you're getting the field stretcher here, um, but you're also you're also getting a, a guy that you probably didn't anticipate you were going to land. And I, so I, I'm curious now with Penn State picking up a guy that a lot of us thought was going to end up a Gamecock. And, and it seems like the South Carolina folks in 24-7 sports were as stunned by this as we were. Um, now that the, 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 it's for now, uh, he's on board. I feel like everything we're like, we'll just get the signing day and we'll see who's still there. Yeah. But Carmelo Taylor, what, what do you think overall? This is a guy we got to wait on a bit uh, for, for an impact, I think, at the Power 5 level. 
Yeah, it's definitely more. I don't want to call him a developmental prospect because that's not what he is, but he's going to have some work to do before he gets on the field to play at a power five level. We touched on the weight. He's going to have to get a little stronger in the upper body. I mean, that, that just kind of is what it is. You know, like he's, he's not even cracking really 160 yet. So, you know, he'll get in the college strength and conditioning program. You know, he'll get his nutrition right and he'll, he'll be where he needs to be before hitting the field. And there are some other aspects of his game that he needs to refine as well. You know, he, he, He's a track kid at the end of the day. Like, yes, he does have those traits that translate to the field and make him such a good prospect, but there are still areas of his game that need to be refined. He's far from a finished product. So um, I'm, I'm sure Taylor Stubblefield is pretty excited to get his hands on him, just given what Carmelo is as a speedster. And if he could turn him into a complete wide receiver, at, you know, the way Hamler developed, watch out. Yeah, Carmelo Taylor was a guy that Power Five, you know, recruiting offices were yeah. not discussing much when December turned to January and and 2022 arrived. But that changed a lot over the course of the spring, and now here he is situated as a four star in the composite rankings. He's just shy of that uh, in a high three star territory for 24/7 Sports at an 89 rating and the 47th uh, wide receiver in our rankings. Uh, let's move forward a little bit because as one guy joins the class just the day before that, we said goodbye to a Penn State commitment, and it was a big one. Tamarian Parker, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago that you and I raved about the skill set and what they were adding long distance from Alabama, one of the premier players in the Southeast, certainly one of the top defenders in that region. And for Penn State to pluck him up following an official visit, what a score that was. Well, here we are circling back in August, and it certainly seems like he is going to end up in the Southeast after all. Certainly uh, not going to be a Nittany Lion. I know that that he was saying that, that he's still going to consider them, but just one of those recruitments, you don't come back full circle, and those very rarely happen. And let's just say it's a stinging loss. There, there's a lot in play here that, that led to this decision. Uh, at the end of the day, though, Penn State is not going to acquire a priority uh, player at a priority premium position in 2023. Yeah, when you take a step back and kind of evaluate this, it's probably the biggest loss of the cycle for Penn State. Bigger than Marcus Stokes, bigger than Jason Moore going to Ohio State. Completely agree Evan, with you. Yeah, bigger than Evan Link going to Michigan. And the reason why is, and you know, Penn State has has some good defensive linemen in its class, and Tyree Brandon and Blanding and Lions, but Parker, man, his ceiling is so high. Just he could do so many different things on the line. I mean, He's a top 50 kid in our rankings for a reason. You know, Penn State was so thrilled to get him on board. And losing him, it hurts. It hurts a lot. You know, they put in a lot of effort to get him to seriously, you know, we talked about this going into his official visit, that it kind of seemed like a long shot that Penn State really had to knock it out of the park on the official. And it did that. It did all of the right things to get him. So then just to lose him, that just adds a whole other element to how much it hurts. And look, yeah, this this is South right here. This is, it comes down to the Southern schools. It's a combination of NIL and other programs that taking a look at him that maybe weren't taking as hard of a look before. So tough loss for loss for Penn State. It's gonna, but you know the defensive line board they're gonna have to take a step back and reset. And you know there's a lot of time between now and the early signing period. You go out, and flip some kids, you close on some kids you're still involved with. There's still time to make this up, but big loss no matter how you slice it. Yeah, that was a, a one that came on board in June. Penn State was really rolling into, into July. Obviously, some bumps in the road along the way. Some guys ending up in Georgia's class. We'll see where he goes. But uh, Steve Wiltfong caught up with Parker's father uh, following this announcement. Um, sounds like Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, all schools that, to keep an eye on moving forward for Parker. As we said, going to probably end up in that hometown region. Uh, and and you know, that's kind of the fight here we'll get to in a second because there's other guys long distance that Penn State's going to be trying to keep keep grips on between now and December and not an easy thing to do. And I will say the, 
the NIL, and obviously it's something that comes up now whenever guys leave classes. And um, how much are we going to have to track this on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis? Because I get the sense that a lot of staffs out there, particularly the ones with the firepower and the ammo uh, from an NIL perspective, are not going to necessarily be rushing to get some of their top guys because they know the dust settles in December. And to me, how much do we see kind of an arms race building, particularly in this cycle in the next few months where, hey, a guy really might like his package with the Penn State or with another program, but all of a sudden someone comes up with something better toward the end and, and your program may not be able to match that it's a scary proposition for a lot of schools out there, uh, but it also may be the reality for this recruiting cycle. It's probably the most interesting dynamic in recruiting right now, at least in my opinion. You talk about the programs that kind of sit back and wait and you know make those last-minute offers. That's how Texas A&M just secured a pretty historic class last cycle. We saw that play out firsthand, so we know how that could go. But at the same time, I feel like certain kids are more likely to stick now, even more so than they were before, and here's why. With NIL being on the table now, schools could include that as part of their original recruiting pitch. So that's already there for these kids to know. So if a kid commits and he's a fan of the package and, you know, he's on board with everything that the the program is offering, he might be more leaning more towards shutting it down completely because he's already had that NIL aspect of his recruitment. Granted, you know, it's always possible that a school comes in late and blows him away with an offer. We see it all the time now. But it, it really just depends on the kid and what they're looking for and, you know, how pleased they are with their current NIL package at the program they're committed to. So, yeah, it, it's just one of those things where it's really a case-by-case basis, in my opinion. And it, it's definitely something we're going to have to track, at least until they they change the way NIL works or, you know, make any sort of regulations or anything of that nature. As it stands right now, it's something that we're going to have to track with pretty much every single prospect, considering that the level that Penn State recruits at and the caliber of prospect that they're involved with and the other schools involved with those players. I do believe that uh, another component here, a variable, is what promises that won't be kept on campus are being made right now across college football because there's a lot of things you can say, a lot of things you can sell about an NIL vision and, and what things are going to project as when a player gets to campus. When those promises aren't kept, what 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 is how does that reverberate yeah. across the college football world? And I think that's what we're all kind of bracing for. But let's move forward a little bit because let's uh, stay with the roller coaster theme and, and, and do a little bit of upswing here because Penn State searching for a quarterback. They most recently offered one who visited campus in Jackson Smolik out of Iowa, committed to Tulane until Thursday morning, no longer committed to the Green Wave, reopening his recruitment. Obviously, the Penn State offer is pretty fresh, and it's one that you just saw in person, him working on campus with Mike Yersich. But this isn't a situation where it was a flip or he was sprinting into Penn State's class. Some dialogue with Steve Wolfong this morning on a Thursday. Sounds like Wisconsin, Notre Dame are engaged. Some other schools, SEC teams maybe uh, secretly monitoring the situation. There is a little bit of mystery here, and as I said, if, if anyone was expecting something cut and dried where Smolik decommits and then jumps in his Nittany Lions class, that's not what we got on Thursday. Yeah, so you mentioned the SEC. He actually has an SEC offer that he just is not disclosing right now. So he has an offer from an SEC program to his name. So that's another opportunity for him to consider. And I fielded some questions about whether or not it's concerning that Smolik didn't flip to Penn State outright or didn't go ahead and join the class right after decommitting. And – 
I'd say not really just because of the work Penn State has put in with him so far. You know, got him on campus for the camp. He has that relationship with the staff now. And if he sticks to his current timeline of wrapping things up before the beginning of his senior season, Penn State's pretty much the school to beat. I, I don't really see anyone challenging them at that point. Now, if this drags on a little bit longer, as we touched on the last time I was on the pod, and he gets the chance to visit some schools in the fall, it's going to be a little bit more dicey. I'll still like where Penn State is at just because of the relationship that has been built and the fact that they were in kind of quote-unquote early after his Elite 11 performance. But it's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on just timeline-wise, I'd say, is the most important thing. Because if, if he sticks to the original plan, Penn State's got to love where it's at. If he doesn't stick to the original plan and it goes on a little bit longer, Penn State's still going to like where it's at, but there's going to be more competition for sure. I think from Penn State's perspective, you got to be really cautious about taking another commitment at quarterback if yeah. the guy's not entirely ready. Because I think there was some resistance maybe from Penn State's side with the Marcus Stokes relationship. Uh, they wanted to make sure that that he had really checked everything in his recruitment and was completely ready to, to be on board. Now, he sure looked like he was sold on Penn State. He made the trip a couple of times up in June all the way up from Florida. So it seemed like things were working in the right direction. But I think if you're James Franklin, you're Mike Yersich, you want to make sure that next quarterback commit is committed for the long haul. And you can understand right now where Jackson Smollett might, might want to press that pause button. We don't know what that SEC offer. There's a wide range of programs in the yeah. SEC. Some right now are better than Penn State. Uh, several of them are not. Um, there's also, uh, you know, the, the possibility that he goes out and, and, and as a senior, his first month of film looks really, really good, or maybe it doesn't look that great. So if he takes this is a little bit of a risk he's putting himself uh, up for, I think as well. Um, we want to see last year he was injured. We want to see what he looks like fully healthy through the course of a season with a target on his back, a known commodity for defenses as they're preparing for him. I think at the end of the day, though, uh, you certainly can't blame a kid who, who saw his recruitment rise so late, especially at the Power 5 level. If he pushes this into a season, it's a rare thing to find an Elite 11 finalist quarterback still surveying his options as a senior. We see quarterbacks wrap things up usually well ahead of their senior season. But this is a circumstance because of when it began and really took off where you might not see him come down for a landing until late in the game. Yeah, and like you said, you know, if he's going to – if he does let it play out, there is an element where he's betting on himself in a sense. But I think his Elite 11 tape and what he accomplished out in California, you know, obviously that's in shorts and a T-shirt. It's different once the pads go on. You got to read these defenses and you got pass rushers coming at you. But I think Smolik has shown enough to a lot of Power, stop, power 5 staffs, Penn State included, where he's pretty much going to have interest, pretty high level of interest throughout the remainder of the cycle, really, no matter how things play out, just because they see a lot of offensive coordinators – sees traits and skill set that they can mold. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a fight. It looks like it's going to be a fight to at least some degree. And if it goes into the fall, it's it's going to be interesting to monitor. Just, you know, who knows who could get involved at that point. We will keep tabs on Smolik, that's for sure. Um, certainly Penn State trying to keep tabs on their long-distance commits. Uh, high school training camps are underway, just like they're underway with camp here at Penn State. A lot of guys locking into their squads, but going to still be hearing from other programs close to home. And my mind goes right to those three defensive backs who are committed to Penn State, but will be playing their high school senior seasons in Florida. King Mack and Conrad Hussey doing that together. And then, of course, Elliott Washington on the other side of Florida. I mean, at this stage, with what we've talked about, the NIL, the, the maybe tempting options to the South, and the fact that we've got a little bit of space between us and the early signing period, I mean, how much is it kind of walking on eggshells at this stage based on what we've seen 
with the long distance packs that have kind of come apart for Penn State in recent weeks? It's tough, man. It's something they're going to have to stay on these kids hard all the way until they sign. The good thing with Elliott Washington is that I get the sense that when he committed to Penn State, he, he just kind of wanted to be done with the process. Like he had seen so much being committed to Alabama for as long as he was still visiting other schools like Penn State, and Michigan State. I, I get the sense that he wanted to wrap things up before his senior season and just, you know, kind of focus on that and have recruiting in the rear view because it was a bit of a roller coaster for him for a while. But yeah, guys like Conrad Hussey, King Mac, you know, from St. Thomas Aquinas, they're in Florida. It's a hotbed, and you're going to have schools like Miami pushing, especially for Hussey. I mean, they've already been trying to make a move there, especially that Jaden Bonsu is not trending their way. It's it's going to be interesting to see what happens when programs like Miami and even Oklahoma with Hussey turn up the heat more and, you know, try to get them on campus in the fall. It's it's a marathon. It's it's not a sprint at this point. You guys like – especially the South guys. You know, Dakari Nelson, too, he took a visit to – Ole Miss before the beginning of the dead period. Granted, from what I've heard, that visit didn't really move the needle in terms of him reconsidering his Penn State commitment, but it's still noteworthy whenever a guy shows up on another campus. The encouraging thing with Hussey is that he had the chance to go to Miami before the beginning of the dead period for their barbecue, and he didn't. You know, so th- that's Penn State fans can maybe breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief there, but it's going to be it's going to be an ongoing saga of what opportunities are these kids presented with. How do they receive those opportunities and where, if any, campuses are they going to visit in the fall? And the fact of the matter is when you go to a school like St. Thomas Aquinas after practices, after yeah. games, you're going to have reporters in your face saying, hey, you hearing from the U? Hey, are the Gators after you? Hey, what's Florida State want you? Hey, what's Miami thinking about you? And it's not going to be a lot of Penn State questions, except maybe, hey, are you going to decommit from Penn State? And that's that's kind of the vibe that's going to you're going to have to endure a little bit. I'll tell you what, from a Penn State perspective, starting 3-0 with road wins at Purdue – and Auburn to start the year would go a long way towards solidifying things. I think there is a cool factor in play for some long distance commits. And the last thing you want to do is to have your brand appear on cool as the season progresses and you're a long way away. Guys kind of forget how they felt. I think that's the danger here. I hate to put it on wins and losses, but they matter in recruiting. And, and we've talked about it. Penn State doing really impressive things for the most part in the 2023 cycle coming up short in some areas. And, and it's hard not to say, well, look, the national champions are flipping guys from your class. You're 11-11 the last two seasons. There's a way to remedy, remedy that. You can't – you know, the NIL is a different beast, but wins and losses uh, you're kind of in control of, and, and we'll see where Penn State can go early in the season. I think that will be really important to dictate maybe the trajectory for the ceiling of this class or maybe how the floor could fall out a little bit if guys start looking around. Um, let's move forward because uh, a lot of speculation, we can do a lot of speculation with those guys in the Sunshine State. Um, let's get to the defensive recruiting class uh, because it's come together a lot this summer. We've seen some moving parts, uh, a big exit this week. And let's go to the defensive line, um, edge rusher, interior. Let's combine them both for the topic of this conversation. But my mind goes to the edge because he just lost the guy that I think really could have a, a strong, successful career and end up in the NFL rushing the quarterback and disrupting the backfield into Marion Parker. I don't necessarily see that guy right now in Penn State's class. We've talked about Tamir Robinson uh, playing linebacker when he gets to campus. And um, to me, you're starting to get in that re- a realm of what kind of projects are across the region, maybe outside of the region, guys that you didn't love enough to offer early. Now you're circling back on looking at some of their traits and you're thinking, well, this may work for us as a plan B. 
Yeah, it's a really fluid board right now. I think a lot of it's going to come down to fall evaluation, seeing where some of these kids are at. You know, probably trying to flip some kids as well. You know, you always have to factor that element into it, just given the way Penn State operates and what they're going to have to do to fill out this class. You know, Jalen Thompson's a name we've talked about a lot. It looks like he's all Michigan State at this point. So they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and kind of figure out how they want to order these prospects and determine who do they really want to go after hard, who do they want to wait and see a little bit more, and then on the other side, the potential flip candidates, who can we get that is committed elsewhere right now? That's going to determine how the pecking order of the board ultimately plays out. There are a lot of guys on that board right now, yo, that they're raw. They're really raw prospects. And like you said, they didn't necessarily like them enough to push the first time around or offer the first time around, whatever it may have been. So they're going to to approach it kind of carefully because – they have to find what they deem is the right fit to join the defensive line. Cause it, it, there are some pretty big shoes left to fill after losing Parker. There's no doubt about it. And of course, worth noting both of the last couple cycles, we saw Penn state uh, bring in a, a, a priority uh, defensive and yeah. um, chop Robinson w- was of a, a larger stature in terms of his, his pedigree and his profile, but uh, Arnold Abicade coming from temple and becoming a first team, all big 10 player. Uh, just a reminder, you know, you're going to try to look at the transfer portal a little bit, but you obviously want to be cultivating depth with homegrown talent. Uh, they've got some raw projects kind of guys already on the roster. Those are kind of sorted, sorting themselves out at the bottom of the depth chart this year. We'll see where everybody is coming out of next year or going into next year. But I think it's important to always be stocking up. Uh, and, and so I do anticipate it, it may not be uh, the, a big name. It may end up being someone of the three-star variety who's, who's outside of the top 400. Uh, but it's somebody, uh, if Penn State's going to give that shot, I, I think right now, John Scott, Dion Barnes, their evaluation combined with what you get out of Manny Diaz and James Franklin in these decisions, you have faith in what they're doing from an evaluation standpoint right now on the defensive front. So I think if you're a Penn State fan, you hang your hat on them. Right now, you're not going to end up with, with this big star of, of a prospect and big fish out of Alabama. But I think the way that John Scott has really put together this room and and, and worked the recruiting trail, worked those relationships, and, and, and developed talent once they get to campus – it says something about where Penn State is in that department, and I think it, it, it gives you a little bit of sense where even if you don't sign uh, an, an outright outstanding class, you can work with what you're getting. Yeah, and you know, like you said, there's going to come a point where they're just going to have to trust the evaluations. They're going to have to trust what John Scott Jr. and Dion Barnes are doing over there because you know they found some guys in the past. That, you know that they're here for a reason. They they're here to project these kids and you know that they can contribute at a power five level. So it's it's tough, man. It's a tough business. I, I don't envy these guys having to go out and make these evaluations because you know, predicting teenagers, man, you see traits and you wonder if you could develop them. And there's only really one way to find out. You get these guys on campus and you see what you can do with them. And, you know, you mentioned how there are already some projects on the roster. There's also the question of how many projects do you really want to take on for cycle? You know, how many big raw guys can you really add to a defensive line room? Because at the end of the day, not all of them. Sure, some are going to pan out but not all of them are going to pan out. You don't necessarily want to load up on those kinds of guys. It really depends on your philosophy as a staff. So we'll see what direction Penn State goes. I think we're going to see probably, like you mentioned, a raw addition, maybe not necessarily high-ranked, but someone the staff really loves. I think it's something that's going to play out into the fall, and we're going to be talking about this a lot more in the fall, just given who makes visits and how guys are playing throughout their senior season. 
someone that that I you know just went right to when I when I realized that yeah. Penn State had lost Parker was uh, was a guy that I saw on the practice field not too long ago, Ishmael Finlater, out of uh, out of Ontario, came down with his Clarkson North uh, football coaches in June. Uh, they had been in communication with Mike Yersich for some time. Uh, Yersich had seen him down at, at a camp um, to the south before, and, and right now I think you know he just committed to Virginia Tech a few days ago. So Brent Pry just just bagged him in their class, and and he saw his Power Five profile up. But he's a guy that fits in that kind. Of, I think he's out th- outside of the top 1,000 rankings yeah. right now. But Power Five offers came. Penn State certainly took an interest. He tested very well for them. I thought he looked pretty strong in some one-on-one reps. He had been out to Alabama and Oklahoma in the week prior to that Penn State camp and had turned some heads out there. A guy that drew some interest as an outside linebacker in a four in a three-four system uh, or, or a, a hand in the dirt guy in a four-three front. Um, so he's a name that I'll file away just because of. Penn State's connection to Canada and their ability to get guys, and he has been to campus. Uh, but he has committed to Virginia Tech, and, and as far as I understand, feels very great about that. He just made it. Um, but that's kind of where we are. Where we're kind of going through the notes, who stood out on the camp, the camp circuit this summer. You know, Penn State's doing the same thing right now, and I think really you're going to try to get uh, a sample size of a season to reassess and, and see what guys do through those first four or five games uh, of their senior years. And I think that's when you can really see someone pop up and Definitely. that's when you can work to get somebody on campus for an official visit and so on and so forth. Um, now we're going to get to something later. I just, just, just want to plug it because you did a really good job with it. 2024 quarterbacks piece that you put on the site earlier. Uh, we'll talk about that next week, I think, because there's a few things I want to add. I had a chance to talk to KJ Jackson uh, last week and he was a really impressive young man conversation and a guy I think Penn State fans need to pay attention to out of Alabama. But he was just one of, of six, seven names that you went through in the 2024 target board. So I just want to encourage our VIP subscribers, go to lions247.com, a really nice picture of how that quarterback pursuit is shaping up for Penn State. they got a lot of guys on campus over the course of the summer. Anything else to leave us with? Um, I think we got linebacker, Kavion Keys. We got defensive back to talk about a little bit. Why don't we jump in there and wrap up with some defensive talk? Yeah, so Keys, you know, we talked about him maybe coming out of his official visit to Penn State that the Nittany Lions were trending. It seems like that momentum has kind of died down and swung back more towards North Carolina. There are a bunch of crystal balls in for him to commit to the Tar Heels. I'm probably leaning that way at this point. He's deciding at the end of the month. North Carolina has put itself in the best position throughout its recruitment. I've said it time and time again. June, there were multiple instances where it looked like he was going to pledge to be a Tar Heel. Things went on a little bit longer. He made the Penn State official visit. For a little while, the tide turned. Now it's back to where it was. It's kind of like Tamir Robinson in a sense where Miami was his leader coming out of the official visits, and Penn State had to fight back and fight its way back to the top. I think North Carolina has kind of had to do the same thing with Keys, and it has pulled it off. So credit to that staff, it looks like. It looks like they're they're on the verge of landing themselves a pretty good player. But we'll see. You know, there's a lot of month left. And, yeah, in the cornerback front, Zion Tracy is a name we keep coming back to. He's coming to campus in September for his official visit. And, look, I mean, as long as he goes out, at the beginning of his prep season at St. Thomas More, and just plays anything like he did at the camp, he, he, I think he's there's a good chance that Penn State is going to be interested enough to take him in its class. And if that is the case where Penn State opts to push for a commitment, I think they're going to be in the best spot to land Tracy over Rutgers, Minnesota, Boston Colleges, programs like that. He loves Penn State. He loves the staff. He was really happy on campus. He loved everything about his trip. So he's a cornerback to monitor. Colton Hood, we've touched on him from Georgia. He's going to be visiting in the fall as well. Another 2023 guy to monitor in the secondary. Roderick Pleasant's another guy, top 100 kid from California. It looks like he's going to make the official visit in the fall. He's going to be a tough pull. 
out of Southern California for any program that's really not on the West Coast. I like Oregon and USC for him. I've said not to sleep on Boston College on that recruitment. I still think that's 100% true given the relationships he has there. But I still think at the end of the day, this this recruitment has a little bit of a West Coast flavor to it, just geographically where he is and what those two programs have to offer. But he likes Terry Smith a lot, which is encouraging because he values these relationships so much. And that is what has I just talked about with Boston College, why they're involved. That's a big reason why Penn State is still involved as well. And that's why they're positioning themselves to get an official. So, you know, you get a kid on campus, we'll see what happens. We've seen Penn State work that magic before. You know, you get a guy up to Happy Valley, he sees what it's like, and it kind of changes things for him. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Pleasant, but there's always that chance. So, yeah, the cornerback board, there are na- definitely names out there, pretty hard, concrete names that are, are targets right now. And it's going to be interesting to see what plays out. The one I'm really watching is Tracy, though. I love his upside. I mean, that speed is – and we talk about speed kills. It kills on the secondary as well. I mean, he uses that speed to close ground on guys, and we saw it during camp, and the staff saw it too. So as long as he goes out, takes care of business early in his seniors – or his prep year at St. Thomas Moore, he's going to be in a good spot. Yeah, Tracy went sub 4-4 in the 40-yard yeah. dash at that Penn nice. State camp a couple weeks ago, and, and you were out there covering. I was, I was hung up sick, but I didn't get to see him. Uh, but yeah, going to finish his career uh, up at the prep level uh, in Connecticut, and as you said, coming to campus for Penn State's home opener, and, and I think we'll get a pretty good sense uh, by coming out of that weekend where things are with Zion, Tra- Tra- Zion Tracy and the Penn State Nittany Lions. Hey, great work at Lions247.com. You can follow Tyler's coverage day in, day out. Of course, you can hear him on the podcast on a pretty consistent basis as well. Tyler, we'll catch up with you soon here, and we'll talk off air very soon, I'm sure. Yep, looking forward to it, man. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's continue the conversation with some preseason camp updates because we were on the practice field, as I mentioned, at the top of the show. Just last night, had a chance to chat with Franklin, Phil Troutwine, a couple players. And we're starting to learn more and more about these Nittany Lions from those conversations and from what we've observed. This was our third peak in the Penn State practice uh, since they opened things up on August 1st. Now, I want to note, haven't seen much offense versus defense. We've seen two reps of 11 on 11 action that was offense defense and that occurred yesterday with some two-point conversion opportunities for the Penn State offense both times the defense got the better of that including an interception uh, by Johnny Dixon but because I don't have Daniel Gallon with me I was going to bring him on he's actually flying across the country for a wedding right now and we'll let Mark catch up on his beauty rest so I want to bring on our very own producer who hasn't been on uh, hasn't heard from him on the podcast for too long that's Lance Glenn uh, fairly fresh off his honeymoon uh, to the beautiful I, tropic destination and back with us here on the yeah. Lions 24-7 podcast where he, I'm sure you missed us a bunch. Yeah. But, um, 
we got a lot to get to here. Yeah, and I guess I'm second choice, or maybe even third choice. Really, you know, you, you no yeah, Daniel. I'm Daniel thinking about one. it. <laughs> Probably could have kept Tyler on the show to, to 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 talk this about this with, but no, Lance. We want to get to a few points. We thought this was the best way to kind of structure it. So you've got five questions for me. We're going to call this a five pack uh, for our five star mailbag, and let's jump right into it. If if people have been reading on the message boards, you've probably already read a lot of this commentary. I know not everybody can stay up to date that well. So hey, I'll I'll tell you what I know, and we'll dive into it. Yeah, well, you know a lot more than I do. Uh, so I'll take the lead on this little <laughs> five-pack of five-star mailbag questions. And we'll start with our first one. And it involves the freshmen, obviously a very heralded group of freshmen for Penn State. And that's what's the feedback on, pest, on Penn State freshmen in preseason camp? Nick Singleton, Drew Raller, Katron Allen. I, I saw, in fact, the Katron Allen truck stick video uh, that I think 24-7 reposted. What a hit, first and foremost. Uh, but what do you have to say about the feedback on Penn State freshmen so far in fall? Yeah, viral video, great moment for freshman Katron Allen. Not so great moment for freshman Makai Flowers, who was on the receiving end of that one. Uh, but I'll tell you what, those those two running backs were the prominent storylines uh, leaving the, the practice field on Wednesday evening. I actually brought up the video that Penn State had had published with the two freshman running back, pretty uh, prominently showcased in that with Nick Singleton racing down uh, past safety Keaton Ellis to the end zone. And it looked like Katron Allen coming up with a couple long distance plays. And James Franklin kind of echoed what we've heard all along and that these guys are both prepared and showing that they are uh, in the conversation to be week one contributors. I think that that it may take some time for either freshman to take over a backfield or to take over a backfield as a one or second option. Uh, but I think they're trending towards doing that by the time the season ends. I think Kevon Lee has his work cut out for him. I think the same for Devin Ford and Keziah Holmes, who have a lot more ground to make up than, than does Kevon Lee in terms of where they're coming from in their careers. It's going to be hard for me to see based on what we've seen from the running backs who are incumbents and veterans versus what we've heard and kind of the pedigree that we understand for these two young running backs, you match those up and it, you think these two players are going to surge toward the front. Nick Singleton, I mean, the breakaway speed stands out. Jair Brown yesterday who's, who's you know, got a great chance to be an all big 10, if not an all American safety uh, this year, just said that when Singleton gets past secondary, there's no chance to catch up. There's no recovery to happen. And Penn State has been missing that burst out of its backfield since Journey Brown had to medically retire, in my opinion. So that's where you're getting with him. I think what you're getting with uh, Allen is a, a balanced running back, a, a complete running back. And I know that's a lot to say right now. We want to see him do it on the field. But this is a guy where you're getting the physicality, you're getting the wiggle, you're getting the vision, and you're getting a, a player who knows how to handle himself with the ball downfield. He really was the catalyst for that IMG Academy offense the last couple of years. They had a couple of power five quarterbacks come through. They had a bunch of talent in that offense, but he was the consistent, consistent factor there and one of the premier programs in the country. So he comes in with, with I, th I think, um, a lot, uh, a lot of confidence after that experience. And that's carried over at Penn State. Beyond the running backs, the Nida and Sutton getting some buzz at defensive end. And we heard a lot about Zane Durant in the spring. He's going to be a major factor in that defensive tackle rotation. I think denied Dennis Sutton trying to make his case. Um, we're hearing he's bench pressing 400 pounds. We know he is an absolute freak of a physical specimen, and that's translating over to the football field. We had him on the podcast uh, about two months ago talking about all the offseason work he was putting in the weight room. Uh, I think he came to campus uh, ready and, and, and on a mission to be a guy who plays quite a bit starting in September. I think he's trending toward that. And then a couple more backburner defenders in terms of – 
maybe you won't see a bunch of them when this team plays Purdue or Auburn early on, but keep them kind of stashed as names that could surface later on as things progress. Keon Wiley, Abdul Carter, KJ Winston. Winston may face a bit of an uphill battle at safety because they've got a lot of guys ahead of him there right now. Um, they got a three-man competition going on. But Abdul Carter and Keon Wiley, I think you could see them Maybe special teams is a pathway, but in that box as a linebacker, you're still kind of sorting through your depth right now. Um, and I think you could see both those players pop up. So basically the feedback on the freshmen is there's a lot of them to talk about. I think we're going to see several of them burn redshirt, more than we've seen burn redshirt in, in the last few years. And it goes back to the spring. James Franklin told us this group is more prepared to make an instant impact than we've had recently. And it's going to happen. And, and I think that, that we're just seeing it come to fruition now in the practice field. Yeah, and I'm sure, again, you'll see a, a bunch of these freshmen make an impact, some of which you mentioned uh, just now. And I want to stick with new faces to this Penn State roster, move away from freshmen, move towards transfers, and obviously a couple big ones, Mitchell Tinsley, obviously Hunter Norzad, Chob Robinson. So the question, how much of an impact should be expected from these Penn State transfer additions? Yeah, I should also note before uh, people start you know, screaming at the top of a mountain that something's wrong, Drew Aller, the number one quarterback in the country, that I, the fact that I didn't mention him in that freshman roundup, consider him as in the lab this year. You know, they've got a six-year senior quarterback in Sean Clifford. You've got a backup quarterback that Penn State really trusts right now in Christian Bayou, who's a redshirt freshman. And then you've got Bo Perbula and, and Drew Aller, who are every little thing that they're doing right now is going to be micromanaged and they're trying to, to clean everything up. So I just want to put that out there with Drew Aller uh, and, 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 you know, we'll see what he, how he reemerges. It's, uh, for, it's for, tough for, for any, months. tough for any first year yeah. quarterback to play. Yes. And we'll see if he, we'll see if Penn state can find a way to get involved in game action right now, but you watch how, how this team is operating on the practice field. And it's very clearly Clifford value. And then you've got some kids learning the way and, and that's what it is. So uh, speaking of the, the transfers, the initial question here. Mitchell Tinsley certainly seems like he's locked in as a starting wide receiver. Um, I think we certainly thought he had the opportunity to seize that starting job when he announced his transfer and came to campus in January. Um, he has really made some strides physically um, from a strength standpoint, from a speed standpoint. That was always going to be important as he was making the jump to the Power 5 level. Just tremendous production last year. We can't say it enough, 1,400-plus yards uh, at the FBS level. You can't sneeze at that no matter where it takes place. And also the fact that he did some damage against some teams he's going to face, you know, face in the Big Ten, went 100-plus yards against Michigan State. I, I think that James Franklin mentions that every time that we mention Mitchell Tinsley, he talks about what he did against Michigan State last year. And very clearly, Parker Washington, uh, Mitchell Tinsley, Keandre Lambert-Smith, uh, they are at the, at the forefront of that wide receiver uh, conversation. Got plenty of other guys in the mix. Harrison Wallace, Malik Mega stand out uh, beyond them. But I think right now it, it would not surprise me at all if Mitchell Tinley is able to be one of Penn State's most productive number two receivers. And this is me assuming that Parker Washington is number one guy here and ends up that way in the stat sheet. But I think you could see him be one of the more productive number two receivers that Penn State has had in quite some time. And looking over a little bit here, uh, Chop Robinson, I think I've been really pleasantly surprised on the feedback. You know that he was going to come in with the skill set, but would he come in and be able to make that impact on the practice field and, and feel like he was finding his footing on a new campus? Sounds like he has. We talked about this earlier in the week that he has flashed, taking a peek again at the practice field yesterday, starting to get a sense of why that may be the case. Very heavily involved with the front end of the line rotation, I think, right now. And it's going to be a major factor in the first quarter on the road at Purdue. I think he's going to make that kind of an early impact for them uh, following the transfer from Maryland. One that we may be waiting on a bit more, Lance, is Hunter Norzad, the offensive lineman who transferred in from Cornell, Ivy League lineman of the year. We saw an Ivy League lineman come in last year, have a, you know an adjustment period of his own with Eric Wilson. The difference here is 
Wilson came to Harvard with one year of eligibility. Norzad came from Cornell with two years of eligibility. So he can be with Penn State again next year. Right now, he's involved in that guard competition. But it looks like Salim Wormley, coming back from an injury, has really done his done done well to try to solidify his spot. His spot at the right side. Landon Tengwall is the guy that we've circled on the left side for a while. Um, and Norzad also getting some reps at center. Juice Scruggs is your guy at center. But Phil Troutwine noting on Wednesday that Norzad being utilized at all three interior positions, which is interesting because he played tackle at Cornell. Uh, we're going to see Norzad on the field maybe week one. Uh, you know, we'll see if they want to do some kind of rotational uh, work on at, at guard. I don't ever love that approach, but sometimes you enter week one needing to do it. Um, and the sense here, though, is that both Salim Wormley and Hunter Norzad have done well for themselves on the practice field. And I think that's the goal here when you talk about position battles. You don't want a, a coach settling on somebody uh, and when he doesn't like both guys as a starter. You want a coach liking both guys as starters and having to make a really difficult decision and having to disappoint one of them because they're not going to get to be that number one guy. Yeah, always better when a coach has a difficult decision to make as opposed to an easy decision to make when it comes to position battles. And let's talk about position battles now, and we'll decide. We'll, we'll go to the ones that are still up in the air. Which Penn State position battles remain undecided? I know you just mentioned offensive line, but are, are there any others? Yeah, so we just addressed the offensive line again. Uh, the, the first five that we're seeing there are, are Olu Fashanu, Landon Tengwall, Juice Scruggs, uh, Salim Wormley, and Caden Wallace, as expected. I, you know, we'll see if the door is still open for a guy like Hunter Norzet to battle his way into the starting lineup before September 1st. But I think you, you look across the, the field, you do wonder um, at, at cornerback, has Johnny Dixon uh, really made that a conversation? Caitlin King is a guy who you know came on so strong when he showed up to campus last year as a freshman, and then he burned his red shirt. We've all really just kind of kind of said it and forget it with him, uh, opposite of Joey Porter Jr. replacing Tariq Castro-Fields. And yet here's Johnny Dixon, his second year since the transfer from South Carolina, and he's been one of the talks of camp thus far. And, and I think that's been surprising. It's a great thing for, for Manny Diaz and for that cornerback row that Terry Smith oversees because they feel really good about five of these guys right now. Uh, you've got Kalen King, you've got Joey Porter Jr., uh, and then you, you, you throw in a couple other guys and Marquise Wilson and Daquan Hardy at the star role. So I think it's really coming together well for them. And the question becomes, how much of Johnny Dixon will we see? If he's not a starter, I think we'll still see a lot of him. Uh, at safety, um, we're going to see three guys involved in that competition, I think. They got a scrimmage today. We're having some install across the practice field for Penn State this week. So you're going to start to see who's prepared mentally, who is absorbing this new defensive scheme from Manny Diaz and actually digesting it and putting it into practice on the field and who's not doing that and, and getting exposed a little bit. So I feel like next week is going to be a great week to check in on some of these position battles because of where they're going to be at in camp and because of some of the, 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 the scrimmage action that they will have gone through. And that's always very telling for a coaching staff. Um, but those three guys are, are Jaden Reed, Jalen Reed, uh, and uh, Keaton Ellis, and then the third is Zaki Wheatley. And, and Wheatley and Ellis came over from that cornerback room uh, during recent off seasons. And, and Reed has been safety all the way, and he's got a major trunk for a lower body. And you got a little bit more of a wiry talent in Zaki Wheatley, who's been an absolute ball hawk and kind of stole the show in spring camp. And then I think you move up the middle linebacker, and, and of course Tyler Elsden and Kobe King remain the vocal points there. And I said it earlier in the week when we were reviewing media day getting the sense that both of these guys are, are trusted figures at the center of this defense. 
that's one thing to say in preseason camp. It's another to say when they're through four or five games of this season and they've gone through the rigors a little bit, but it's what they've got. They've got one guy back at linebacker who's played a substantial amount of football at linebacker for Penn State, and that's Curtis Jacobs at the will position. Everything else is, you know, you're, you're kind of just leaning on Manny Diaz, making the right decision, and these guys finding a way to flourish in the defensive system. You know, you're hanging your hat on Kobe King or Tyler Elsden or both of them to be a viable and, and, and accountable option at middle linebacker. And, you know, again, I don't know how much we'll see of Jonathan Sutherland in that same role and three linebackers on the field consistently, but we're going to see, enough, we're going to see uh, plenty of him. But I think right now you, you, you got to make sure that you find the right Mike linebacker. And, and right now it feels like no matter who they pick, they're going to be confident in that guy being a leader and a tone setter. And I think that's part of the equation here. I'll switch over to special teams real quick to wrap it up because a punter job, a kicker job, a place kicker job, all left open by, by Jordan Stout. We've seen Jake Pinniger, the, the fifth-year senior, and Sanders Sahadak, a redshirt freshman, battling it out at place kicker. Pinniger, the last couple of practices, missed some shorter field goals. Not a great thing you want to see in front of the media or do in front of the media. Sahadak, we haven't really seen a lapse from him, uh, at least when we've been able to observe. Sahadak is a superior leg from a power standpoint. Pinnegar has played a lot of football for Penn State, attempted a lot of kicks over the last four years. Um, and then at punter, you got big Gabe Nuasso, who's you know looks like an offensive tackle, but he kicks the hell out of the ball. And and then you've got uh, Barney Amore, who transferred from Colgate last year. Both those are walk-ons. You know, Barney's the guy who's leading, but but Gabe can really hang the punt. And then Alex Paqueta is the freshman who's involved there and, and trying to compete as a place kicker or, or trying to compete as a kickoff specialist. So kind of a rapid fire way to go through it all right there. And, and I hope I didn't miss anything. This is easier to do a little bit with two people. But that's kind of where we are with, with some of these position battles. And if I missed any, I apologize. And we probably already covered it on lines247.com. Well, I think you're doing a great job to so far. No, well, obviously, my Penn State knowledge is limited, but I think uh, uh, for going solo, essentially, I think, you know, a job well done for sure. And, and let's stick with the positives, actually, since you're doing such yeah. a good job, such a positive job. Uh, what's the biggest positive of Penn State camp so far? Before we get to any negatives, the biggest right. positive uh, that you've seen with the Nittany Lions? So I think it's got to be the defensive line. I mean, I've written about it enough now. I had a story on Akeem Beeman and, and what he may mean to this Penn State team coming off of a lost year uh, in 2021. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I've done it on this podcast a bunch, listing the names of defensive linemen who were not with this team when they finished up the Big Ten schedule last year. It's P.J. Mustafer, it's Adiza Isaac, it's Akeem Beeman, it's Zane Durant, it's Deny Dennis Sutton, it's Chop Robinson. These are not just bodies and depth. These are... You know, these are top of the line talents. These are blue chip prospects in a lot of ways, some former five star prospects. And based on what we're hearing early and the feedback from Deny Dennis Sutton through his first week and a half of college camp and what we're hearing about Chop Robinson and his transition over to, to State College from Maryland. And again, P.J. Mustafer being healthy, getting to see him on the field a little bit, maneuvering and just watching Akeem Beeman and Adiza Isaac go about their business in some drill work yesterday. Those guys are flying around the field and. I just have a hard time imagining a lot of teams within the Big Ten Conference or on Penn State's 2022 schedule, if they can come to plan uh, for, for John Scott and this defensive line, what they want to do, and they can roll as deep as I think they can. A lot of offensive lines, a lot of offensive coordinators are going to struggle to come up with answers over the course of four quarters against this group, and I think they can bring it off the edge. More importantly, though, I think this defensive line has the real ability to penetrate the pocket within from the inside, and that's a Akeem Beeman, that's a Zane Durant. Uh, and I'm really curious to see what that could do because Manny Diaz talked about it. 
quarterbacks can step up in the pocket when the edge rushers come in and they can still find a play. When you can collapse the pocket, pocket from the interior and you got your edge guys meeting, that's when mistakes happen. Manny Diaz, very turnover-minded coach. I think that there's a lot to love about this defensive front, and everybody's going to jump on the bandwagon, uh, and I'm part of the reason. Uh, I guess I'm going down with the ship if it doesn't work out. Yeah, yeah. This defensive line certainly uh, one to keep an eye on, obviously, as camp gets going or as camp continues and the season gets going. Let's switch it over for the last of our five five-star mailbag questions. What's the biggest concern for Penn State three weeks away from kickoff is obviously they got a, a big game in week one against the Big Ten opponent in Purdue. Yeah, part of me wants to go special teams just because Jordan Stout was a ridiculously valuable asset for this program. And there's a reason that he was drafted so highly by the Baltimore Ravens. Um, I'm not going to go there, but I mean, look, you, you don't, we don't talk a lot about punters and kickers until they screw up. Right. And if it goes awry, we'll, we'll find out early and it could cost Penn State. It felt like Penn State defense the last couple of years was just able to lean on the fact that Jordan Stout was going to pin the opponent opponent back. I mean, even if the even if you were looking at a three and three and out situation for your offense, Jordan Stout was going to salvage something and give you a shot defensively. That's concerning a bit. So maybe that that maybe I could go that route. And I'm going to say overall linebacker though. And Manny Diaz said, look, these guys weren't recruited to campus to be the question mark. This is LBU. They're supposed to be the standard. But right now they are the question mark. And I think it's just because the career production isn't there. Curtis Jacobs has a year of starting under his belt. Jonathan Sutherland was a backup safety and a special team standout. And, and now he's going to be thrust into a starting role. And a lot of people are curious what that's going to look like. And as of right now, it looks like the next man up behind him is, is a walk-on and Don DeLuca. Again, we don't know quite what these middle linebackers are going to do. I have a good feeling. And I think the Penn State staff actually thinks that this position competition is ahead of schedule with Tyler Elston and Kobe King in their progression. But again, we got to see it happen. And they got, they got a couple really tricky road games with the new defensive coordinator. And it's not just about them feeling comfortable at middle linebacker. It's about those middle linebackers, making sure their defensive linemen feel comfortable, that the other linebackers feel comfortable, that the safeties behind them feel comfortable. They've got great leaders within this defense in a couple spots, but they need more to emerge. And I'm looking toward linebacker Curtis Jacobs, not innately that guy, I think you, you see maybe more of that naturally for Elsden, for King. Can they step up? Can they be kind of that linchpin and, and the one who who calms people down when things go a little hectic? Because in those moments, that can really determine what kind of a team you are, what kind of a defense you are. Um, and you can avoid some backbreaking plays if you have those kind of, uh, of stabilizing forces. But the problem for me is this, the depth isn't there right now. Um, we don't know a lot about those young guys and Keon Wiley and, and, and Abdul Carter and, and Jamari Budden's a redshirt freshman. So there's just a lot of players that, that we talked a lot of as prospects and we haven't seen much of as college football players. And it's always a tough task to kind of size up a, a room that doesn't have much experience. Yeah, certainly. Well, Tyler, that's it. Five five-star mailbag questions. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Obviously, if you can hear the dog behind me, he, he appreciates <laughs> not my dog, my neighbor's dog, but uh, he also appreciates uh, you for having me on. And uh, I'm sure I'll be on soon. I look forward to it. Yes, yes. We'll see you really soon, Lance. Uh, Lance, of course, will be back for our next episode of Lions 24-7 podcast, working as our producer. Uh, we'll have a couple episodes for you next week. We're a few weeks away from ramping things up. We're going to go back to three episodes during the week and a post-game pod. Remember those post-game podcasts? They're not too far off. Three weeks from today, we're going to have one, actually, uh, late, late at night after Penn State and Purdue play. But just a sense of, of where we are in the schedule. We are getting closer to kick off. We are having full coverage at lines247.com on a daily basis of what we're hearing, what we're seeing from Penn State preseason camp. And of course, Tyler Calvaruzzo along the way, uh, doing all the good work on the recruiting trail. For now, going to step aside. We'll gather information over the weekend. We'll come back to you with another fresh podcast to start next week. I'm Tyler Donahue. Talk to you real soon on the Lions 24-7 podcast. 
Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.